Hello, everyone. Thank you again for joining Dorsey Ross on this episode of The Dorsey Ross Show. In this episode, Dorsey interviews another special guest that will give you hope and inspire you. Hello, everyone. Thank you again for joining us on another episode of The Dorsey Ross Show. Today, we have a special guest with us. Her name is Christine Handy. She is a mother of two, a blessed cancer survivor, international speaker, accomplished model, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized humanitarian. Christine has seen all and has overcome all odds. Christine's model is there's always purpose and pain, but we have to be willing to share the story. Her lifelong passion for writing has finally come full circle with an incredible story to share. Christine, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, it's such a privilege to inspire and to help. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to start off with a couple of simple uh, questions. Great. The first one is, where did you grow up, and did that affect who you became? I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. I was actually born in Chicago originally, and I lived there till I was six. But I'm certainly a Midwestern girl, and I think it had a profound impact on me because I think Midwest people are kind and they build on community around them. And so, and I think that's carried me throughout my life and helped me and served me in many ways. Even though I don't live in the Midwest anymore, I still have my Midwest values. Okay. What's your favorite funny story to tell people? About myself? Yeah, about yourself, (laughs) about about anything. (laughs) Oh, I have a funny story that happened two days ago. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So I went to Universal. I live in Miami. So a friend of mine said to me, we're going to go take, she's going to take her children. My, my kids are grown to Universal, which is in Orlando. And I said, sure, I'll come. Why not? I can, you know, ride a roller coaster and have some, you know, big gulps and popcorn and whatever else they have at Universal Disneyland. And so we go up there and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm 52. So I'm no spring chicken, but I also think that I can do anything and I'm unstoppable. And so we get to Universal and we hit the rides and we're on these roller coasters. I'm on, I think, two and I start to feel kind of nauseous. Now, bear in mind, I had a massive amount of chemotherapy in my life and my body chemistry absolutely changed. The whole com- you com- com- My whole body composition changed. But, you know, I try to forget that and I try to, you know, think that's behind me. And so I'm on these roller coasters and I say to my friend who's got her young children, I said, you know, I'm going to skip this one, this next ride. And she goes, okay. I said, just a little bit nauseous. So about an hour later, my friend says, why don't you come on this one? It's not so hard. And I said, okay. So within 10 seconds, now these rides are typically about three minutes long right? and and you can't stop the ride, right? So In about 10 seconds into this ride, I start vomiting. Oh, no. And I mean, this ride is going like 60 miles an hour. So you can imagine where this mom is going, right? So I'm throwing up the whole time. And I get off and her kids think this is the funniest thing ever. And I'm like humiliated and I'm, you know, I'm I'm drenched. I have to go buy new clothes. (laughs) But you just have to laugh at yourself because we cannot control pretty much anything around us other than our reaction. And so my reaction was, although I felt really sick for 
I don't know, 24 hours, including yesterday after that, I can only control my reaction. And so I, we made it light and we had a good time, even though, you know, by the time I got home, I still had vomit in my hair. <laughs> yeah, we can't control the things that happen to us sometimes. We can pretty much not control anything other than our reaction. We certainly can't control our bodily functions sometimes, and we can't control people around us. So we can control how we react to circumstances. Right. Can you tell our listeners about yourself and about your story? Yeah. So um, my name is Christine Handy, and I am a breast cancer survivor. I'm also uh, a survivor of, um, I had a colon resection when I was 35 and almost bled to death on the table. And I'm also a survivor of uh, kind of a malicious doctor who bullied me into a point where I had a, a, dis- a disabled arm, to I have a disabled arm. And I had a simple surgery, which ultimately turned into the fusion of my right arm. And so I've endured, you know, a lot of physical pain and obviously some personal trauma. And I've taken all of that. I wrote a book about it called Walk Beside Me. It's a fictional depiction of my life. And once my book was published, I went on tour to talk about my book, but also to talk about more global issues like how to not allow yourself to be bullied by people, right? That comes from within. That comes from a deep sense of self-love and self-care and self-esteem, which I didn't have. I had modeled most of my life and when, um, and I was very dependent on the external beauty. And so I wasn't for many, many, many years discovering who I was inside the part that really mattered. And so that part of my life kind of got glossed away until really my external accolades were stripped away from me. And then I had to really discover who I was inside. And that took a lot of patience and a lot of introspection. But once I did, I realized that the purpose of my life was not to look cute and to be funny. It was to help other people, to lead, inspire, and to teach people how to get an unstoppable self-esteem. Did you grow up in a Christian home? And when did you decide to become a Christian? And, you know, why did you, why did you decide that? Well, it's interesting. I did grow up in a house with... Um, Christian beliefs. We actually were raised Catholic. And when I got to college, I I didn't leave my faith, but I kind of pushed it aside. I thought that I was in control of my life and that the decisions I made were maybe more, more um, valuable than resting my faith in God. I had, my faith was in the external world. And so by the time I had my third illness, was, which was breast cancer, and Throughout my adult life, I, and when my friends had invited me to Bible studies, I would say, oh no, I'm sorry. I'm too busy. I have to go to a yoga class. I had to get my workout in. I had to, you know, whatever, whatever distraction I could think of, I was using. And so when, you know, it came to life or death and I was diagnosed with cancer and a doctor said, this is your percentile chance of survival, man, I ran to my faith because that was the only surety. That was the only dependency that I could really keep my foot in, right? right. Everything, everything else was getting washed away. My, the beauty, the external, the accolades, what I had depended on, the materialism meant nothing. There is no U-Haul and behem hers. We can't take it with us. So what point is it? And so when I started to really look at that, I thought all we really have is our faith. I, that's all I had. That's all I really turned to. Because I couldn't turn to society. Society is depleting. Society is like quicksand. 
And so when I turned to my faith, my, my life became less focused on the outcome, like what I didn't know whether I was going to live or die after cancer, but all I could do was have faith that I was going to live that day and show courage so that other people could watch that courage. And that would give them more courage in their life through their illnesses or their traumas. And so once I was completely, I shredded my dependency on external value and society and materialism and things like that and had a full dependence on God, which by the way, I practice all the time. You don't just make that your stronghold and just, and and everything miraculously changes, right? You have to practice it over and over again. Whatever we practice, we become. So if we practice another stronghold, alcoholism, drugs, abuse, whatever whatever we focus on, we become. So I have decided to focus on helping, serving, and also living a life dependent on faith. When you went back to your faith, you know, when you found out about your health issues and whatnot, were there times, you know, when you're going through that uh, chemo treatment where you may have questioned, you know, God and said, God, why are you allowing me to go through that or go through this time and health issues? And, you know, what did that look like for you? Well, definitely. I mean, but that was my selfish nature back then. I, I mean, I question God even today sometimes when I see kids with cancer. You know, I, I see kids that are abused. And I look at that and I just go, how can you allow that, God? And, and I remind myself that we all have free will, right? But then I think, well, yeah, but God can change any situation. God can heal any human being. God can heal any family. And I see all the troubled families in the world. And I do, I dive into that question with God. And I'm not sure I know the answer, but I, I continue to have a total dependency on that God will work things out and that the best is yet to come. And that, you know, what is behind us is actually behind us. And God goes with us. He goes forward with us. He's on the sides of us. He is behind us and he's always with us. And he is an all encompassing God. And he hears our tears and he sees our cries and he has a little, you know, cup of our tears that he doesn't forget. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And people hurt us. Right. I mean, there's vengeance out there, but vengeance is not ours. And I could get caught up in the doctor who left me, you know, in physical pain and left me disabled. But I know that that doesn't get me anywhere. I had to shred the backpacks of disappointment and just give that over to God. What was the, if you want, you, I mean, if you want to answer this, you can, if not, no big deal, but what was the prognosis or what was the, you know, likelihood of your survival with your breast cancer? And, you know, do you, you know, see that your survival as a miracle from God? You know, there's there's two answers to that question. One, a doctor did did give me my percentile chance of survival, which I never repeat that number because I think it's a mistake to speak that out loud. You know, that's just Satan, right? He wants us to see that um, negativity and that complication. And I want to focus on that. But I do, there were times when I was going through chemotherapy. Now, bear in mind, oftentimes people can die during chemotherapy because the drugs themselves kill people. They're so strong. And so there were several times during chemotherapy, I went for 15 months to chemotherapy where I was not sure I was going to wake up the next morning. There were times when my blood levels were so low that I had to be in a room and not have any contact with anybody else because if I had gotten a cold or a a flu or anything that would have killed me. 
And so in the short term, there were definite days that I wasn't sure I was going to survive. And in the long term, I had an aggressive form of cancer. So yes, in, in both ways, I think I'm living proof that faith does exist for sure. Amen. Besides the um, chemotherapy and everything, what is one of the other biggest challenges that you have faced in your life overall? You know, I had a really low self-esteem and people would look at me when I was 22 years old and living in Barcelona in the elite modeling agency. And they looked at my life like it was so privileged and I had this, um, this incredible beauty and, and that's, and that's great. And that's all I saw, but inside I was tremendously insecure. And so when you add up insecurity after year after year, and you base your decisions on that insecurity, you make a lot of bad decisions. And so I made incredibly bad decisions. I've made decisions that ultimately, right? Like I trusted that doctor led to the ultimate, you know, fusion of my arm. I depended on people that were not kind to me. I, I, I depended on some people that were emotionally abusive to me. And I allowed that because I just didn't have a strong sense of self. And so when I was kind of pushed against the wall and, you know, faced with life and death, I thought, gosh, if my friends who are showing up for me and my God who's showing up for me is fighting for me, why am I not fighting for me? Why am I not, you know, I have a little picture of me as a child in my bathroom and I look at it often and I look at that picture and I say to that picture, I'm going to protect you. But man, for 20, 30 years, I didn't protect that child. I just, I protected the people that were around me, but not me. And so I had to really struggle to get through that. And so I think my insecurities and my lack of self-esteem were the biggest inhibitors to the health of my life. How did you, how did you overcome those insecurities and, you know, and whatnot? Because I think a lot of people, including myself, deal with insecurities when we look at our physical self, we deal with that. How do, how do we overcome that? Well, I think that we get dependent on what others say about us as a culture, right? That's disgusting. We, our value has nothing to do with another person's opinion of us. Like when I, and I'll give you this example, and then I'll go back to the tools that I used. But when I, two years ago, when my breasts were extracted for a MRSA infection, and I had come out of that surgery and I had a concave chest, and I'm on social media, I have a presence on social media. And somebody, they're trolls out there, as I'm sure everybody knows. And somebody said to me in the comments, were you born a man or a woman? And because I had just lost my chest, it was a pretty sensitive subject, right? I was born a woman and I feel very feminine and I want to be a woman. And, and that hurt me, but I didn't respond to that person. I waited a couple of days to kind of digest it and, and to feel, to figure out like where in my heart was that hurting me? Why would I care about what other, another person thought of me? Like I worked for years not to care what other people thought of me. And here I was feeling sorry for myself because somebody said something that didn't feel very good. And so I was reminded of the fact that we can only feel fulfilled by ourselves, by our faith, by our God, by our opinion of ourselves. And we, if we are dependent on other people's like I said earlier, that's quicksand. We will never feel peace. And so I practice that every day. I got rid of people in my life that weren't 
speaking kindly to me. Like I got, had to get rid of a lot of voices in, not only in my head, but around me that weren't as kind and gentle to me as I should have been, including my own voice. Right. And so I took thoughts captive that I used to hear in my own head that was just really unkind to myself. And I took those thoughts captive and I changed them. And even when I changed them, I didn't in the, initially believe them. Right. So if you take a thought captive that is criticizing yourself and you change it into a positive affirmation, we don't necessarily believe that po- positive affirmation at force. But the more we practice that, the more we get used to that, the more we feel that, right? And so as many negative thoughts that were coming into my mind, I was changing those into positivity. And that's what changed ultimately my point of view, my perspective and my self-esteem. But then I also took inventory of what was around me, the podcast I was listening to. Was that filling me with life or was that filling me with materialism? Was I watching Bravo TV or was watching a pastor, right? On TV. Those are two very different things. And so I was taking inventory of what I was listening to and who I was listening to in my own voice. And that's what ultimately transformed my self-esteem, but it's a living practice. I work on this every single day. How do you become a model? What made you become a model? And was that, you know, a thing that you wanted to do growing up? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I started modeling at a very young age at 11 and I had to really fight my parents to model. Oftentimes you see young kids that kind of be, are coerced into the industry by their parents. Not mine. Mine were like, absolutely not. We're not allowing you to do this. And I was, and I just was, I had, a, I just was a strong, I was strong even then, right? As an 11 year old, I was like, no, this is what I want. This is what I want to be a career. I didn't want to do it as kind of a fleeting moment, a fleeting season of my life. I wanted to do it as a career. And so I'm still modeling. I just walked in New York Fashion Week in February, so I've been a model for 40 years now. Do you think it's healthy for the young girls that are, you know, know, like you said, you know, at 11 or even younger than that, do you think it's healthy for them to do that? I mean, I feel like, (laughs) first of all, I wouldn't have changed my career for anything. I love it. But yes, it comes with some handicaps, right? I had, I developed a terrible eating disorder in my, in my teens and sure. I mean, we, we go to the modeling agency. They expect us to be perfect. They expect us to have the perfect weight, the perfect size, the perfect measurements. And when we don't have those, I felt very, very guilty. Right. So it's a very transactional, a a bit of shameful world. And so it, and it's adhering to this cultural rule that we should be perfect. Like, On social media, all these highlight reels, like we should have this perfect life that doesn't exist. And you don't know that when you're 11. You don't understand that when you're that young. And so I think that modeling at a young age should come with like a class, a self-esteem class, a self-awareness class. I could teach the class. (laughs) But in looking back, it seems so simple. Like I can pick, you know, I can, I have a, you know, I have more of a, not as a marginalized perspective of my life. I have the full film, right? And I can look at the screenshots and go, okay, you did this wrong. You did this wrong. And this is what you could have done. Well, we can't go back in time, but we can help other people, which is, I think, why you and I both do this type of interview. You mentioned it earlier that you wrote a book, you know, Walk Beside Me. Tell us a little bit more in depth about that book. Yeah, Walk Beside Me is a fictional depiction of my life. And it really starts with 
prior to my arm debacle. And you don't even get to the cancer until about 200. But once you get to the cancer, it's a beautiful description of how women can fight for each other, how women can cheer each other on. You know, so often I look around in this world and on TV and, and just in life, and I see women tearing each other apart. I, I Well, I mean, I, I, I see people tearing each other apart. Like there's this great comparison game going on or this great competition. But the truth is, you know, if we carry each other and we cheer each other on, we, we realize how much there, there's plenty to go around, right? There is no competition. Like I'm a motivational speaker. I'm a model. I'm a mother. I'm a humanitarian. Those things exist for so many people. I'm not in competition with other models or other speakers. We're just in different spaces and I'll get booked for certain jobs and that's a gift and they'll get booked for certain jobs and that's a gift. But when we start comparing ourselves to other people, we're really tearing each other down and we're hurting our own self-esteem. Your book is also becoming a feature film. Yes. How did that um, come about? And do we have any idea like who's going to be, you know, in that movie? Well, they haven't started filming yet because it was supposed to start filming in 2019. No, I'm sorry. 2000, May of 2020. And that's when the whole world shut down. And so it's been postponed, but it's getting its legs back up and we're, we're starting to work on it again. Um, it's really, it's really closely knit to my book. Oftentimes books can be bought to be made into films, but the producers and the people that buy the books change the narrative, right? But my book is very closely related to the film. The screenplay looks very nice and close to my book. So it's a really beautiful description of my life. It's going to be great. I'm excited about it. That's awesome. Yeah. There are many people that may want to decide, you know, that they, they're thinking about maybe going back to school or going back to college, you know, and they're like, well, I'm up in age, I'm older, you know, but you know, they <laughs> no. may decide not to do it. But you, you decided to go back for your master's. What, what made you decide to go back for that? Well, it does go back to my self-esteem and it also goes back to my chemotherapy. So when I was going through chemotherapy, I, I, well, actually when I completed chemotherapy and during, I had a, I had this thing called chemo brain and chemo brain is really debilitating. So I would, you know, my long-term memory was, my focus was disrupted. My short-term memory was disrupted. And I just felt like I was living in this fog. And I tried to do some puzzles like daily puzzles and the New York Times puzzle and things like that, but nothing was helping my brain kind of unfuzz, right? And so I decided that I needed to go back to school to kind of retrain my brain how to think and to study and to focus. And so I decided because I had a strong self-esteem that I was going to apply to one of the best universities in the world. And I would have never had that confidence prior to my breast cancer. And so I just decided that I would give Harvard a shot. And if they took me, great. And if they didn't take me, it was okay. I wasn't so afraid of the rejection. But they took me. And so I've been doing my master's with Harvard for two and a half years. And I feel like right now I kind of have senioritis because I have finals week this week. And I'm <laughs> getting a little bit frustrated. <laughs> but it's completely eliminated my chemo brain. So what I sought out to do, it's completely helped. Yeah. Well, you reminded me that I need to work on my worldly uh, puzzle today at some point. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I remind most people that you can do anything you set your mind to. Absolutely. Well, thank you, you know, 
for your encouragement today and for your for your story and to keep pursuing what you know what it is that you want to do and what it is that God wants you to do in your in your life. Amen. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, one last question: Is there something that you wanted to inspire our audience with before we leave, and what would that be? Well, one thing that I do is I set a reminder on my phone every day at 11 o'clock and it says, let go and let God, because we can get so caught up in life and the, the busyness of it and the activities and also the heartache of life. But if you have a reminder around you, right? Person, an alarm, a positive affirmation on a, your mirror, something like that to remind yourself, just, okay, give it to God. That's something that helps me each and every day. I know that to be true, but I often need the daily reminders. Amen. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us, and we greatly appreciate having you. Thank you so much. Guys and girls, thank you again for joining us on another episode of the Dorsey Rush Show, and please go and check out Christine's book and website. We'll have it in the show notes, and check out my website as well and hopefully you're encouraged and inspired by her story until next time God bless thank you again for joining Dorsey Ross on this episode of the Dorsey Ross show please like share and tell others about the show also please check out the other podcast episodes and if you would like donate to this podcast and buy Dorsey a coffee Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.